0: Hi, i'm paul shrimp welcome to microdosing where we focus in on very specific topics that represent larger trends in healthcare here in season two we'll be speaking with a broad spectrum of physicians to get their perspectives on things to watch i hope you enjoy in this episode we'll be speaking with dr susan davis medical director of the dupree cottages associate professor of geriatric medicine at the university of cincinnati and an attending geriatrician for the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. Oh, and she's my sister. Susan, welcome to Microdosing. Hi, Paul. Glad to be here. Normally, I ask my participants, do they prefer Susan or Dr. Davis over their formal title here? I don't think I need to ask I, that. Yeah. Because, yeah.
1: I prefer you call me Dr. Davis. I'm You're just not. kidding. I'm prefer- yeah. <laughs> Come
0: meet, <laughs> Come meet my family. This is Jim, my dad, Jim. My mom, Michael, this is Dr. My Davis. Sister, Dr. Davis. <laughs> yes. Well, first question, what was it like growing up in the shadow of your baby brother? Uh okay. it was hard.
1: It was hard and
0: long. Uh, but seriously, uh, let's talk a little bit about how you got to where you are today. I think last time we shared a roof under overheads, you went off to to undergrad. Was it to be? a medical illustrator and then yeah. now you now you're where you are today. Would love to hear the the 60 second Susan.
1: 60 second Susan. So I went off to undergrad at Xavier University and then did um my got my medical degree, my DO degree at the Ohio University Heritage College of Osteopathic Medicine. Um, I went off and did a family medicine residency, did family practice for a while, realized I really like older people and then did a fellowship in geriatrics at UC. From there, I stuck around and um, did uh, completed my fellowship in geriatrics, but I also got duly certified in hospice and palliative care. Um, that led me to some interesting projects in hospice program medical directorship, and I recently got my certified medical director from the American Medical Director Association Post-Acute Long-Term Care Society.
0: Well, on the topic of, of your story, I understand that Stories in general, and the power of stories is, is playing a, a more and more important role in the lives of the patients that you're working with today. I'd love to hear more about that.
1: It's, it's, it's always been a central role, um, is that storytelling is sort of early medical history when training medical students. There's a great medical quote, if you listen to the patient, uh, they will tell you the diagnosis. And it's true, if you just sit and talk, and it's, it can be confusing for medical learners with all the different tests and things you can order, that listening to what the patient is telling you will lead you in the direction. But also it's, you know, patients are just amazing. And I've really loved the older adults because they have the best stories. They're the most medically complex, um, have met many doctors and are more than happy to tell me how, how to do my job. Older adults are fascinating storytellers if uh, healthcare professionals would just take the time to listen,
0: and tell me more about this this space around was it tell me tell me my life story, or tell me your story. Okay, the, uh, what what do you what's what, what's going on in that space? That's I'm fascinated. Oh, two
1: areas I've been really lucky to be part of is um, tell me your story with the University of Cincinnati. Uh, we recently published in the October twentieth issue of the Journal of the American Geriatric Society our findings from teaching medical students in their first weeks of school um, how to interview an older person. And we used to take them out on buses out to campuses where older adults lived well. And now we have them interview them uh, by telephone and Zoom, you know, just talking to an older person. Often the first time a medical student meets an older adult is in the ER, when they're delirious or or sick or confused or don't have their glasses or their hearing aid. But to talk to people at home that are living great lives um, can really be eye-opening for medical students and have had a, a wonderful success. And My Life, My Story, I recently told you about, My Life, My Story is a VA initiative um, that I've been able to be part of here at Cincinnati. It was started in Wisconsin that interviewing veterans and listening to their story, capturing a thousand word story and making it part of the medical record, reading it back to the veteran saying, is this your voice? Is this what you're trying to say? Yes, that is me. That's the story I wanted to tell. And capturing that story and putting it in the uh, medical record allows other medical professionals to read that story and learn about that person, who they really are.
0: Given that you're working so much with an older population, I always find it fascinating how hospitals are designed, how different healthcare settings are defined. If you go to pediatrics and you go to a children's hospital, you know, this is great. It's empathetic. It reduces anxiety. I'm like, why don't you take the same philosophy that you designed a pediatrics hospital to the rest of the world and almost more so to the geriatric population?
1: You know, geriatricians have been working on this for 50 years uh, in contemporary American healthcare. care um, that really I'm excited about. Um, we've had ACE units, acute care of the elderly where you have quiet spaces, we have meals together, trained staff that can engage older adults and meet them at where they are, um, but they're hard to fund. A lot of these ACE units get knocked out to put in a new you know, telemetry unit because that's a cash-generating you know, cardiac stuff. Now, mind you, I love cardiology and infectious disease and ortho because having people live to be older gives me a job is that we've got so many people living past 65, accommodating the the things that happen with older people is my job. VA is really becoming an age-friendly health system and has really directed a lot of initiative on a big scale. And it talks about the four M's. So the four M's, age-friendly health system are what matters, knowing about your patient, knowing about um, what their values are and what's important to them, including end-of-life care, and helping them across health systems. Medication that's age-appropriate, friendly, and doesn't interfere with what matters to them. Um, mentation, being able to diagnose depression, dementia, and delirium early, and accommodating that and helping that in different settings of care. And lastly, mobility. Mobility, helping to maintain daily function, reduce falls. Reducing falls doesn't make money for a lot of orthopedic hospitals, but reducing falls saves costs in the long run because you have a healthier
0: group of people. The other thing that you're, you're starting to touch on is is end-of-life care, and I always find mm-hmm. it fascinating with the overused quote is there's only two things certain in life, death and taxes. People can't shut up about taxes, but rarely is death talked about. Why, why is that such a taboo topic? Uh, um, you know, we so are a
1: very... Care. Yeah, we're, I, I totally agree. We are a very youth-driven culture um, that, you know, seeking youth, anti-aging products, you think about that, that death is negotiable, Paul. Death is negotiable. And talking about it and having difficult and important conversations early don't extinguish hope. It allows you to live your life and say, hey, I totally acknowledge we are not going to be here one day. And here's how I want... My the things that are valuable to me to play out. Here's what I want my family to know. Um, these are important conversations. Um, I really appreciate a lot of my palliative care colleagues as well um, in promoting that,
0: these difficult conversations. You've gone through quite a bit in your career. It's, it's impressive to see where it's going and all the different uh, evolutions in, in geriatrics and in palliative care and stuff they are doing at the VA. If you could go back and and tell your younger self one thing, what would it be? In addition to being nicer to your brother, but in, a, oh, know, in addition
1: to, to, yeah. to, to not take Paul seriously. Um, I'm just kidding. Um, the things I wish I would, I would t- could tell myself is that your, that the persistence and creativity are the two invaluable skills. It doesn't seem obvious to the, you know, the brainy rule following folks in medicine and that type of career. But it's really the ability to be creative under pressure um, and to persist. Those are really the uh, shield and sword uh, when moving through life, being able to pivot. That really came in handy this past year.
0: Yeah, I think you're still to date the only physician I know that uses the disposable paper in a, a patient room as a whiteboard to illustrate what the patient's going through. You're the only person that uses multiple. Actually,
1: I've had to switch because they changed our paper. Our paper doesn't hold ink or it's just weird. So I actually do have whiteboards in my patient rooms. My patients can't see and can't hear. I have found that talking with them using a whiteboard makes a huge difference. And with telehealth, I learned that a lot of my patients were better off if I could hold up information to the camera. I could ask them questions on note cards through the camera. I, I couldn't believe that I was having real conversations with patients that before I thought
0: didn't have as much language skill. That's amazing. That's amazing. Well, Susan, thank you so much for taking some time to share your story today.
1: Thanks, Paul. I appreciate having the time to spend with you.
0: thank you for listening to Microdosing. If you'd like to hear more observations and opinions like these, you can follow me on LinkedIn at linkedin.com slash n slash shrimp. That's S-C-H-R-I-M-P-F or on Twitter at Paul Shrimp. Until next time, cheers.